Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For centuries, God had cultivated a certain people to be his people. They would keep the law, pass down these stories of revelation, speak through prophets, and prepare for the coming Messiah. They would promise the world that if God was respected and obeyed, a prosperous world could be had by all. We call these people Jews, but I prefer the word Hebrew as it has its origins all the way back in Genesis 14. But the Jews did possess many advantages, as Paul himself says, a Pharisee, of course, he says in Romans 3. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. And yet, as that advantage was no guarantee of success, as advantages are not, sure enough, as has happened among all people of every time and place, obedience was often hard to come by. Specifically, too many of these Hebrew people, as recorded in the Old Testament, found themselves worshiping other gods. Idols and shrines were built in the high places, that means pagan mountain areas, as Baal was worshipped, false god, and compromises were made. God would ultimately, of course, judge Israel for their lack of faith. The temple would be destroyed by the Assyrians, or I think it was the Babylonians, uh, and they would be sent into exile. By grace, they would return to Israel later, rebuild the temple, and more strictly seek to obey God. That's recorded in Ezra, Nehemiah, and then we see the formation of like the Pharisees and Sadducees who aren't in the Old Testament, but they exist in the New to preserve God's word, right? Keep the institution from failing again. Now that strictness, arguably, was just as damaging to getting to know this true God. Whereas the people were previously lax in obedience and had offended God's holiness, well, now they went above and beyond God's law, and they were not living by his grace. So when the Messiah does indeed appear, he is not recognized. His message of grace is itself offensive, a danger to the revelation that is given by God. His own hometown, of course, did not honor him. And, of course, he was crucified by his own people. But the death of Jesus opened the way, the door to the gospel of God now being available to the whole world, having been conceived and nurtured among this Hebrew people. This was quite a shock to the apostles who, like all Hebrews, just assumed that this revelation of the one God would continue through this specific people, perhaps exclusively through them. After all, it always had before. Hence, what Luke writes in our reading from Acts 11 today, the first and the last verses. I'll reread it. Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the words of God. And they praised God, saying, 
then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. You see, it was not the expected group that would carry the banner forward. It was not the people that had formed an institution to protect against losing God's blessings. Yes, of course, Christ was a Jew, but his death was now for the whole world. It was outsiders who had become better able to see who Christ really was. The established institution had missed the Messiah. Now, lest you think I'm picking on our Hebrew friends, let's fast forward a few centuries and see how the institution is still doing. Well, the Christian church is by now all-powerful. Entire continents have been born and bred into Christendom, and the power of the church goes unquestioned. The church is the undisputed keeper of the keys with the ability to allow you into heaven or damn you into hell. Her priesthood and sacraments are the only way to God, and even your citizenship was tied to your baptism. I mean, they really owned you cradle to grave. Now, these were the new people of God with all exclusive access and fringe benefits. They were the ones who were now supposed to safeguard and preserve the revelation of God. And while some critical aspects of this revelation were indeed preserved, like the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, many had become corrupted. So there needed to once again be an outside group, like these Gentiles in Acts 11, to re-examine the foundation of the church and ask, have we gotten it right? We call these men the reformers. And this work really went on for about 300 years, culminating perhaps with people like Martin Luther and John Calvin, but there were many very important people before that too. But lest you think I'm picking on our Roman Catholic friends, uh, even the reformed churches went off the rails given enough time. All of their expertly worded confessions argued down to the syllable sometimes, uh, into which I have to uh, say that I'm uh, going to be faithful to when I'm ordained, right? And all of the sincere promises uh, to be faithful to the scriptures could not keep those who call themselves Lutherans or Calvinists or even Christians from inventing an entirely new form of Christianity. Virtually everything has come to be reconsidered in the light of modern proclivities. Which institution today, and we've surrounded by a whole glut of them, which one uh, that is tasked with understanding and preserving traditions can we rely on? For example, the original mission statement for Harvard University, and it's okay to pick on Harvard, right? Yeah. Uh, for Harvard University was, everyone shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. 
Does anyone still believe that Harvard or any of the other major universities, all of which were formed on Christian principles for the edification of the people so they would know the gospel and spread it, etc., does anyone think that they are still governed by such a motto or creed? Certainly our government uh, and uh, you know, its priorities merit a daily eye roll or our ire and has, of course, for decades. Basically, polls indicate that people hate their government and the media that covers it. What about our health care system, just to pick on another institution? Who exactly uh, has more say in my personal health? My family doctor or the FDA, CDC, or the WHO? There's a lot of people in the room with you when you're meeting with your family doctor. I mean, they're invisible, of course, but they're there. Just as an example, again, of an institution that's supposed to preserve what we think is important. And of course, I could go on, but it would only increase your anxiety and tell you what you really probably already know, which is that the institutions that were created to preserve what we hold to be important are failing. We can't even agree on what it is that we're supposed to be preserving anymore. The select group of people who are supposed to keep things steady as she goes are now the ones steering us off course. So what do we do? Well, first we remember that the institutions will fail us all the time. They won't save us. They are as fraught with sin as the people who formed them. Well, that makes sense, of course. Individual sinners form institutions. Guess what happens in the institution? But it's even harder for them, of course, to change course because their sin becomes embedded over time. So they have to be reformed, taken over, or destroyed, and begun anew from scratch. It is us who are the ones who are the nimble movers those who can discern sin and change quickly. We need to be then these Gentiles, like in Acts 11, who are the ones who receive repentance as a gift, and then we go on to make a difference. We need to understand that we have to be the outsiders, the ones who will shock and surprise the institutions. That is, it is us who are the true believers, and we are willing and able to set things right. And to the degree that we are the institution that has failed, we need to be open to those from the outside who can be shown to be the true followers of Jesus. New, true Christians from around the world are going to be a blessing to us in the future. I'm thinking in particular of those house church Christians by the tens or hundreds of millions in China, uh, or Christians perhaps in Africa. They are the future of Orthodox Christianity. And dare I say, find ways that you can get more involved in your institutions. Can you and some other ragtag Gentiles take them over? Can you volunteer more? Can you give generously to those groups that are worthy of your gifts? Because if these Gentiles and Acts 
or the reformers, or those of us today who are still trying to reform the church, waited for the institution to save us, we would only ever lose ground, because it won't. It can't. But be sure of this. The Gentiles in Acts, that was not God's plan B. Okay, God wasn't up there surprised and shocked when his people crucified his own son. And then the Gentiles came to believe the gospel. Indeed, Gentile acceptance and celebration of the gospel is prophesied in the Old Testament. It was right there in front of them the whole time. Likewise, we celebrate the Reformers, not as men destroying God's sacred institution, which is, of course, what they were killed for and accused of, but as rediscovering the gospel and freeing the people of God from the bondage of the church's false teachings. God is not shocked or surprised when people of faith challenge institutions that have gone astray. Indeed, it is our obligation to be faithful, especially when they fail us. Amen.